Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So we're currently reading Avdi Grimm's Confident Ruby, and we're going to discuss the end of handling failure with section 6.3 using bouncer methods. Then it's on to the penultimate chapter, number seven, refactoring for confidence. And here Avdi walks us through two refactorings, and we'll do the first part of section 7.1 today, looking at the metric foo code base. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club and check out rubybookclub.com to follow along. Now, before we get into the section, I, I have to ask, do you generally use the word penultimate? So I purposely put it in there because people always pick, <laughs> pick on me for all my use on it. But I love that word. It's such a useful <laughs> I word. I love that word, too. I just forget that the word exists. And then when I hear other people use it, I go, man, they're so smart. No, so I use it all the time because often it's just very useful to indicate, oh, which one do you mean? And people are faffing around and then I'm like the penultimate one and they're like, ah, and then they pick on me for having used that word. But it's like, hey, you got to where you needed to go. What's your problem? You did. That's right. No, I agree. I don't like when people faff around in general. So <laughs> I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> okay. So shall we start with 6.3? Use bouncer methods. Let's do it. So in... 6.3 use bouncer methods, we're talking about a situation where we have an error that is indicated by the program state rather than by exception. So we're talking about um, a failed shell command and we're talking about the dollar sign question mark variable, which is a variable that I haven't really seen before. Was that familiar to you when you saw this? Yes, I've used it a lot because when I did Cloud Foundry work at Pivotal, that was a lot of mm -hmm. dev, opsy systems level work. And so played with the mm. command line and bash and these sort of things quite a lot to work out whether our commands had failed or done what we wanted them to do. Mm -hmm. So in this example, we're again dealing with the whole handling error situation. And we want to create a method that checks for that error state and then raises an exception if it hits it. Yes. And we return to our filter through pipe method, which we had in some of the last sections that we discussed. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking about how we can use things like bounce methods to dry up this logic when it comes to checking for these um, failed shell commands and how that can help, again, keep the higher level logic different from this low-level error checking, similar to the rationale that we had in the using checked methods section. Mm -hmm. And remember that question I asked with the last episode where I said, is checked methods, is that a thing or is that just a name that, you know, Avdi is coming up with for that one example? And it looks based on how this section is written that that's like a category of methods because it says like check methods, bouncer methods also dry up common logic. So it sounds like there's two new types of methods that we end up learning about in this chapter. Yes, and I also had not heard of the term bouncer methods before this section. Sounds like fun though. Bouncy, bouncy, yay. <laughs> <laughs> so in this example, we talk about a method that uses IOPopen, which I think is much better pronounced poppin'. I agree. And we are, mm -hmm, and we're using it to execute a shell command. So we say here that when the shell command finishes, we're sending that dollar sign question mark. Does that variable have a name, by the way? Should I just keep calling it? Dollar I just sign put exit mark? status. 
exit status. Okay, so it sets that exit status variable to a process status method. You do you realize I've started saying status instead of status? I can't believe this. Well, oh, it was so natural to me that takes. I, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> That's how you're meant to pronounce it, so... I guess so. So much of, of you has just rubbed off on me. Just in, in one book, you've, you've changed you've changed me, Nadia. Um, so we have that exit status <laughs> variable. Um, so when that shell command finishes, then the io.popin method sets that exit status to the command's exit status. Right. And zero means success. This is like a universal thing. Zero means success. Mm-hmm. And anything else means that it failed in some way and often you see one but you can see other things as well mm-hmm. and so we know that that status is always going to be an integer and so in order for us to see if the command succeeds we have to basically check that status and in this example we see that in order to check that status we have to interrupt the flow of the method and use some code to see hey what is it is it good if it's not good then we need to raise an error Right, and Avdi brings back the Brie blocks, which if anyone hasn't listened to the previous episode, that is Saron's terminology for a begin, rescue, end block. And he refers to that and says that in this case, when we're checking the exit status in the middle of this method, it's as distracting as a Brie block. So what can we do? And so what we can do is we can use the bouncer method. And the bouncer method's sole job is to raise an exception if it detects an error condition. Right. And so we have a case here where we write a bouncer method, which can take a block. And that block is the code that may generate the error condition or not. So this is the part where I was trying to understand what makes it a bouncer method, like where that that term comes from and what makes this different from just extracting any method you know and so when i'm looking at this we pull out that that error checking and we call it something entirely different we call it check child exit status so now it's its own method and when we do that it's nice because we've you know pulled it aside it doesn't take up this huge amount of space in our filter through pipe method it's you know we replace it with just that one method it's nice and clean and feels very um, it, it feels like we're giving it the amount of attention that it deserves being that it's an error check and not you know, the, the point of the whole method. And it just feels a lot less disruptive. But when I look at it, it doesn't feel immediately obvious to me why it's called a bouncer method. So this is perfect because at this section, I highlighted the, this, this paragraph, the one that starts, we can add a call to the, we can add a call the bouncer method after the pop and call is finished, dot, dot, dot. And I added a note mm-hmm. and, and said, this just extracts the method as is, right? Ha! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait. Yeah, that's what I got from it. <laughs> so yeah. Yes. First step is after abstracts that unless exit status is a success, raise. And he puts it in another method called check child exit status. So at this point in time, all we've done is extract out a method. Yes. And as far as I'm concerned, so far, the only thing this improves is readability. Yes. So yes, at this point, I'm like, okay, all we've done is extract a method and it makes it more readable. And then Avdi says, well, we can have another version of the code, which where the code is guarded by the bouncer and executed inside a block. 
So we edit the check child exit status method to include a call to yield mm-hmm. at the beginning. So we say result equals yield, and then we have the unless exit status is a success check. This means that when we go back to filter through pipe, we now call, first of all, check child exit status, then pass it a block, and inside the block, it's got the the method that we had previously and which we discussed mm-hmm. in the previous chapter. So the process writing, the process messaging. So now we don't need to solve a local result variable anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks a lot cleaner that way too. But the thing that feels a little funny about doing it this way, where we're passing in a, a block like this, is it fe- just just the idea that we're kind of wrapping the checked popen in the check for an exit status. It feels like the checking for an exit status is very important, you know? And that's one thing that Avdi calls out too, because it says it imposes awareness of the exit status checking at the very top of the method. And again, when we talk about, you know, it, it's it's nice because it's not disruptive. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't disrupt the flow of things the way that our booty blocks generally do. But on the other hand, by wrapping it in this exit status check, it implies that it's more important and should be given more attention than it really should. And Avdi himself kind of feels this discomfort because he says at the very end, I'm honestly not sure of which of these styles I prefer. And I have highlighted that bit and added a note saying, which style do you prefer, Saron? But I think I know the other. (laughs) I think I prefer the one where it's not wrapped. That one feels a little bit more, it feels a little bit more intention revealing to me i feel like when i look at get a look at that even though we do have that very nice local variable result um that you know generally isn't is it cool i'm okay with it because i feel like it's telling me a much more um authentic and a much more honest story of we're here to check the p open we want to write we want to close write. we want to read but we also should check this exit status thing so it feels just a little bit more representative of what the method is trying to do i 100 percent agree with you on that that was my thinking which was that looking at the first version I can just look at that get a sense of what's going on it's interesting because I had the same thought about wait so we're checking we're wrapping the whole thing in this checking the child exit status which seems to go against a lot of what Avdi has said previously Mm -hmm. around the prominence of this the error status however it is a slicker a slicker version of it for sure but Mm -hmm. I think that having the result call instead and just having that child text exit status just before it the flow is it's it's more readable for me however then i'm Mm -hmm. just left thinking okay so bouncer methods are essentially the same as extracting methods as you do apart from it just so happens that this method just checking the exit status yeah and i I just did a, a really quick search on bouncer uh, bouncer methods and specifically a bouncer pattern and just from the a quick read that I did it looks like it's a method specifically designed to either throw an exception or do nothing so it seems to be the extraction idea but only dealing with errors it seems to be what's going on okay. so learn something new awesome and so that's the end of that section and Avdi says that similar to with the Brie blocks 
checking for exceptional circumstances can be disruptive. And so using a bouncer method minimizes the, the interruption. Mm-hmm. And reveals the intention because then you can actually name that method as well. Yeah. Cool. Should we move on to chapter seven, refactoring for confidence? The penultimate chapter. <laughs> So this starts off with a quote from one of my favorite people. Yay, uh, definitely one of my favorite people in tech, Katrina Owen. And Katrina says, refactoring just makes me happy. And I've heard her say this many times, so I believe it. I believe that this quote is uh, is true. Uh, she definitely loves refactoring and has given lots of talks on it and is just amazing at doing that. So already starting off the chapter with a, with a great note. Yes. On a great note. Yes, and I recommend everyone checking out her therapeutic refactoring talk. It's therapeutic mm-hmm. just watching it. <laughs> For sure. So here we talk about one of the goals of refactoring, and it says that all of our changes will serve the ultimate goal of shaping code that tells a good story. And when we talk about refactoring, depending on who you ask and what language you're refactoring in, there's different ways of doing it, and there's different you know, definitions of what the what clean code looks like at the end of a refactor. And even in looking at the chapters in this book, we've often said we could do it this way or we could do it the other way. There's pros and cons to both. It kind of just depends. But at the end of the day, whatever change we implement, it should be to help us tell a good story. Yeah. And to help us with this, Avdi gives us a couple of examples that he's worked through. Mm-hmm. And so the first example is a library called metric foo which checks the quality of your ruby code the first class we look at is called location and it has a class method called get and so i think this works out where your the current bit of code that it's looking at lives in your code base am i right Mm -hmm. something like that and you've got these sort of variables called file path copy, class name copy, method name copy. And what they do is they check if a certain variable is nil or not. If it's nil, then it returns nil. And if it's not nil, then it returns a clone of that relevant path or class name or method. And it's like the same pattern repeated a few times. And so the first thing that Avdi says is rather than using all these ternary operators, we can use the and and method. And so, for example, where we had something like file path copy equals file path equals equals nil and return nil or the file path clone, we now just have file path copy equals file path and and file path clone. So if file path is nil, then the method will return there. Otherwise, it will return the file path clone. And Avdi says that we're not a huge fan of doing this and and because technically it's just another form of nil checking, but he feels that it's more concise, it's a little bit cleaner, and he says it's better than the ugly ternary operator any day. And I I just, I want to speak in defense of the ternary operator because I think it's really cool and I feel very alone in this feeling. And I remember when I first found out about the ternary operator, I thought, oh my God, this is so neat. This is so awesome. And then at some point I had a bunch of senior developers go, no, this is the worst thing ever. And I'm just going to say, I'm a fan. Ternary operator, I got you. I think it comes back down to readability. So there are times when I use it and I think it's quite a simple bit of code in each section. And so it's quite readable. But sometimes when you're trying to pack in a lot of stuff there it can be quite confusing to keep context in your head 
so I, mm-hmm. I can understand why some people are like, no, stay away. But, you know, I like it sometimes. Yes, we got another one for the Terrari team. Awesome. So further down in the method, we find some code that asks our at at locations hash if it has a key. And we've seen this example before, and we've seen a better way to do it, which is to use the fetch method instead. And we find this method on page 122. And so instead of asking, hey, locations, if you have this key, please use it instead, we'll just do fetch. And one of the benefits of that is when we use .fetch instead, it blows up. So we know immediately where the error is, what the error is, and it's a much nicer um, uh, return, much nicer situation to be in when you can pinpoint exactly what's going on. And the other thing that we can do, which we learned earlier in the book, is pass it a block. And so what Avdi does here is he says at, at location.fetch key, and then he passes out a block which contains the code of what you need to do if you don't find that key. And so overall, fetch is just a more preferable way than having to do this has key check and then have a conditional statement. Yes. So we'll stop here and pick up the rest of the refactoring examples in episode 16. Until then, tell us what you think of the refactoring we've done so far. How much of these tools and strategies do you remember from our earlier episodes? Record your 30-second response or write up your thoughts and send it to us at hello at rubybookclub.com and you might hear yourself on the show. And don't forget to tweet us at Ruby Book Club and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio!